Welcome to the Retro Spectacle Podcast, Episode 7, Bitcoin. What is it and, and how do we use it on the Drink 5 Network? the episode last week with this and we started with this framing it couldn't be more relevant than tonight well welcome to the retro spectacle podcast uh we are of course going to be discussing uh bitcoin tonight and kind of digital currency but especially bitcoin because that's you know what 90 percent of the relevant digital currency is um but first of all, of course, we have a delicious beer here tonight. Uh, Dave, what is this amazing beer that I'm drinking from a growler that you brought home? Yeah, cool. So um, so my girlfriend and I were recently in Tinley Park. As, as some of you know, we live in a suburb of Chicago. And uh, so it's just sort of a hop, skip, and a jump away. This particular brewery that we went to was called Hailstorm. And uh, they look like they are about ready to go into major production. They, they really have a good look and feel about them in the brewery. Have a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, some of the ones they're best known for are Vlad the Impaler, which is um, a stout. And then Vlad the Conquistador which is a 13.3% alcohol beer, which is pretty amazing. But 50 bucks for a growler, Phil. So unfortunately, that's not what we're drinking tonight. Just enjoy a pint at the bar and leave it at that. Yeah, this is the Jesus Toast Rye IPA, uh, and it Ah, is pretty good. Um, Basically got it because we we couldn't get the Dominatrix Triple IPA uh, on tap in a growler. That's a Triple IPA? Yeah. Eleven percent. They, they just won't fill it, or is that another like forty dollar fill? No, it's not fillable at this time. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, but Jesus Toast IPA is uh, an awfully good beer, and it's a Belgian IPA style. I like the rye IPAs. They have the more toasted malt taste to them, um, and I think that that pairs well with a nice hoppy feel. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's got a little bit of kind of a bitterness towards the end of it, uh, but I like that kind of stuff. So it's sort of a light to medium body, not anything crazy. And it's always fun for me to drink these darker beers that really taste like they have a light profile instead. So they kind of fool you when you look at them. Right. All right, and uh, I've also got a PBR, which everyone knows what a PBR is. Everyone knows that they're delicious. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, tonight we're talking about Bitcoin. Um, a lot of you may be familiar with Bitcoin or have at least heard Bitcoin, heard people talk about it. Um, it was really popular a couple of years ago when the price uh, was, you know, had its bubble and it reached its peak of over $1,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, what does that mean to people? You know, probably doesn't mean a whole lot when you tell them how much it's actually worth. Um, you know, Bitcoin is essentially a digital currency. Okay. Uh, so... Digital currencies are only based on the internet. So Bitcoin is a decentralized currency where uh, it works on a peer-to-peer network. This is kind of similar to a network like BitTorrent, which a lot of people are familiar with if they like to download things. It's a very efficient and uh, decentralized way of downloading. Um, When you look at like a bank or something, that could be compared more to like a website where you're going 
to a central location and you're getting all the information from there and one person controls all the information. Um, that's like what a bank does in real life in, uh, <clears throat> in, you know, Bitcoin, nobody actually controls it, uh, which is sort of interesting. And one of the reasons why I think that governments are a little nervous about it, uh, because they can't have control over it, uh, which they do, you know, you have the federal reserve in the United States. There's a, uh, a, a organization that, you know, controls all the money in every country in the world. Um, so anyways, um, they all use a kind of cryptology to uh, secure the transaction so that uh, they can be protected from, you know, hackers and from uh, people trying to steal your money, basically. Um, so different kinds of digital currency, you know, a lot of people think of PayPal. Have you used PayPal, Dave? Sure. Okay, so you can use PayPal for almost anything. But PayPal really functions more like a bank. Like, you really can only use it online unless, of course, you, like, get a PayPal credit card or something like that. Um, and it's kind of uh, similar in execution in terms of being able to be widely accepted and uh, pretty much all electronic, which reduces the overhead a lot. Like, you can do a lot of low-cost transfer, a low uh, denomination transfers with PayPal for free. You know, your bank isn't going to let you do that. Um, you're not going to be able to do that for free anywhere else. Um, <clears throat> so there's, uh, so that's a centralized kind of, uh, digital currency, um, uh, which really just kind of works like a bank, right? Just holds on to your money and then you can spend it as you want. And one entity is responsible for taking care of it. Uh, Bitcoin is more like cash. And there's a few decentralized cryptocurrencies, uh, which are common. Uh, so there's Bitcoin, there's Dogecoin, which had, uh, what was it, the dog um, meme? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a fun one. Uh, it's pronounced a bunch of different ways. Doggy coin, dog coin, Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Uh, there's not any actual one accepted pronunciation, I don't think. And it is something that came from the idea of Bitcoin. And now it's kind of like um, this this whole dog meme uh, of, you know, dogs can't speak in perfect English. <laughs> so they're, they're surrounding the coins in general saying uh, much investment, uh, very doge, <laughs> good coin. We'll need to dig up a few memes. Um, there's also Litecoin. Uh, but there's about a dozen uh, cryptocurrencies which have a market value of over $10 million U.S. Um, Bitcoin, for instance, uh, the biggest one, has a market value of $3.41 billion. Okay, there's a total of uh, over 14 million Bitcoins out there in the market right now. Um, and that's at the rate of you know 14 uh, million Bitcoins, and they're currently worth $243 each. Um, so why, you know, why do we want to use this instead of money? Um, so Dave, I imagine, you know, you use, you have plenty of credit cards. Do you use cash like ever, or are you always using a credit card? I use whatever suits me at the time. Okay. Would you say that you use cash more than credit cards then? I have no specific philosophy as far as what I pay with, um, because I have, certain things that I do that get me cash and certain things I do that have money put into an account. So whatever money I have, I will spend it. Okay. Well, you're a good American. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, basically when you use a credit card, a merchant has to pay 
the credit card company in order to be able to use the, you know, in order to be able to accept the credit card. In order to be able to take your money, you know, the credit card company charges them. We don't see those fees really other than like interest rates if you don't pay off your credit card uh, as consumers. But you know, because you work behind the scenes, I know because I work at a retailer that, you know, we pay money every time we swipe someone's card or enter their information. Uh, anytime we have to take money from them, whether, you know, it's only going to be a really tiny transaction or whether it's a really large transaction. Uh, you end up paying a little bit for it. And the smaller company you are, the more money you end up paying per transaction. Sure. And of course you have to pay because someone has to run the transactions. Right. There has to be a reason for someone to want to do that. Uh, So one of the uh, limiting factors that credit cards have is that if you're running transactions all the time for less than $5, um, your returns really diminish. So a lot of times on the internet, you're never going to see anything that you can spend uh, a credit card on for less than $5. Even I think like, doesn't Apple like uh, charge you like 20 bucks at a time or something like that when you're shopping in the iTunes store? No. No. So you can just spend 99 cents there? Yeah. And you can go on Amazon and spend $1.35 on a credit card. You can, you know. So okay. You can do so this So the big places can still uh, afford to do that. Well, technically... Uh, I'm pretty sure this is how it works anyway. Um, people, like merchants, decided at some point that they could just start saying, uh, we're not going to accept any credit card transactions less than $10 because they're going to make a, a less of a profit from them. True. Uh, but I don't think they're actually allowed to do that. If If you were to call up your credit card company and have them speak to the merchant, I think they have to take it. Okay, that makes sense. If you're selling something, you have to, and you accept credit cards, you can't just... But merchants will put them up there because they don't want to spend that money because it it would be a higher percentage uh, of their transactions. So, of course, merchants do not like using uh, Visa, MasterCard for small transactions because they make less money. Yes. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I know there's a pizza place I go to for lunch sometimes, and they won't uh, accept less than $5 on a credit card. Right. And they, they sell dollar slices, so it's always a pain in the butt for people. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the problems that Bitcoin solves is that it is much more practical uh, to be used on a, you know, almost micropayment sort of way. Like, uh, you know, it, it's entirely impractical with a credit card, say, to charge someone five cents, right? Uh, I mean, what do you mean? You know, to have recurring charges of five cents, to sell something for five cents and, and you know, like say um, we wanted to sell our podcast and we wanted to charge people five cents every time they listen to it. It would be really impractical to have a credit card, you know, to accept credit cards for that sort of payment, right? Because we would be paying, you know, probably at least 50% in transaction fees. Uh, yes. Okay, so if we were to accept Bitcoin instead, the transaction fee is then uh, can go as low as free. Okay, you can choose not to even pay a transaction fee when you perform a transaction with Bitcoin. Uh, The way this works is the network gives priority to all of the uh, transactions that are offering fees. So if you want your transaction to... um, you know, complete in a much more timely manner. Instead of completing after like 60 minutes, it could complete, you know, within 10 minutes. Um, you can pay a very small transaction fee. This winds up being, you know, a tenth of a percent or even less than that. Well, any of the larger merchants that, that wanted to do this, for example, I mean, 
Bitcoin itself uh, only has between what, like 500,000 and a million people that actually have wallets with coins in them. So it's not a large percentage of uh, of people in the United States or across the world. There's probably a lot more than that. I mean, there's 14 million bitcoins out there. I don't believe so. At least what I've recently looked up is is that's that small. Uh, but you know, this is being adopted at a good rate. The problem is it's it's just now still in its infancy, still uh, in its very early adopter phase. This is not something that is a big thing. It's something that could be a big thing. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing about bitcoin is just like you said what is attractive to merchants is that it's money uh, that has a value that you can trade for regular dollars if that's what you'd like. And the uh, transaction fee, if you choose to use one, which a larger merchant would do so that it, the transaction doesn't take too long to appear in your account. Right. And it's very cheap. I is mean, infinitesimal of, of the uh, regular credit cards. Right. When you compare it to what a normal credit card would be. Correct. And it's uh, transacted by all of the people that are mining for bitcoins right what you said decentralized it's it's not controlled by really anything the one of the coolest things in my opinion is just that is just that um the fact that that bitcoin uh when you have a transaction it goes out there and it has to be verified by uh, a bunch of computers and all these computers that are verifying it all have rules associated with your transaction. Yeah, it's not just a bunch of it has to be verified by every computer. Everyone has to agree Correct. that it's the right uh, data. So it's not I'm sure we'll get to it later, but it's not as though you could have uh, you know a computer go on and say, "Okay, well, we allow that transaction and the other ones don't allow it, so it won't go through. It's blocked at the gate." Exactly. So, you know, uh, having that decentralization in your network is a really big advantage. So nothing really can be changed to the network unless everyone agrees with it. You know, everyone's currently running software and it gets updated every once in a while. And this uh, helps all of the um, all of the miners run the network. Um, you know, if, if people see that there's a vulnerability and an upgrade, then they'll roll it back. And everyone... Uh, will agree, you know, that, oh, there's a big problem with this release, we can't use it, um, or we won't use this release until you fix, you know, X, Y, and Z, something like that. Uh, so if there is going to be a change to the network, it will be because everyone agrees with it. It's a very, it, it's literally a democratic setup in that way. Sort of. I mean, a couple of years ago, they had a problem, for example, where uh, they found a bug in the actual Bitcoin mining software. Uh-huh. And about half of the people had already upgraded to the new software, which fixed the bug. But half of the people were still using the old software. So um, a transaction or two was put through um, and those transactions were agreed upon by half of the the miners that were running that software and disagreed on by half of the miners, so the transactions did not go through. However, uh, they should have gone through. So there, there are issues there. You know, one of the problems is if people are using like a tiered upgrade system, or they decide not to upgrade and someone else does, then things might have to be pushed through manually because there's still a great majority of people out there that may not agree. So um, that is that is kind of an issue. But uh, oh, they yeah. they have. Uh, you know, looked at ways to fix this over the past couple of years. Of course, it's an ever-evolving piece of software, and it, it is just that. It's software, um, but very secure at its roots. Right. The basics of Bitcoin uh, itself are very sturdy. They're almost impossible to, um, you know, 
break, so to speak. Uh, the the main vulnerability comes from the wallets that you know consumers and merchants would use in order to spend bitcoins in their everyday life. So let's talk about what Bitcoin is, how you how you use it from the very beginning. So if you're a basic user uh, and you have no idea what it is, but you want to get involved with it, then how would you uh, decide what wallet to get uh, and get Bitcoin in your wallet? And then how would you spend it? All right. Well, there's uh, the first thing you do need to do is get a wallet. Uh, so there's a bunch of different choices uh, for your wallet. You need to decide how you're going to use it. Um, do you want to use it to save a lot of money? Do you just want to use it uh, to buy coffee every morning? Uh, do you want to maybe learn how to be a miner and like look into mining for Bitcoin? Um, so there are mobile ones. And uh, the mobile ones are probably the least secure because cell phones by their own nature aren't nearly as secure as like something that you can lock in a closet. Uh, you know, it, It's something that you can lose, just like your wallet. Okay, so just like your wallet, you wouldn't carry around your life savings in your wallet, right? You would carry it around. You would leave it in a bank. You would leave it somewhere more secure than your front pocket. Uh, so there are um, mobile wallets. Uh, you can get them for Android. You can get them from I for iOS now, and that uh, is only a very recent thing to happen. I think they waited until they released the Apple Wallet, and then... They allow, They finally allowed some BitTorrent uh, applications. Bitcoin. Bitcoin, not BitTorrent. But but I'm yes, sure you can get BitTorrent applications. Apple for that one. Apple has been very wary of the whole thing, and for good reason because uh, it is in a small amount of people. It's not something that's majorly adopted by tons and tons of people. Um, so it, it is something that is still sort of unproven. And I mean, I've I've listened to shows and read things from a lot of the experts. Even the guys that are like senior developers on Bitcoin software teams, etc., uh -huh. and they all say like, "Look, this is um, kind of like investing in like a like a um, a tech industry high risk fund. Like we, it's not balanced. It, it hasn't decided where it's going to live as far as a monetary value. Um, we do know that it has a monetary value. It would be difficult for something like this to crash." uh entirely just because of the fact that it already has a value sort of being built upon right but its fluctuation is far more right now than any other kind of currency so it's not something you would want to invest in sure it's definitely fluctuating more and more um it's something that you could you be want, an early adopter you want to use yeah it's not you get bitcoin so you have bitcoin you don't necessarily get bitcoin because you want to invest in something volatile no, you, you get Bitcoin because uh, you don't want to have your money in the regular bank system. Um, okay. I mean, not all of your money anyways. If you're getting a large amount of Bitcoin, then. You is. want to divest your money into other options or, yeah. um, you know, again, it is a very um, new thing. So it's not something that, that I would recommend you just like put all of your money into. Like there are people that get paid salary in Bitcoin partially or all the way. Um, and like I said, I was listening to uh, a show the other day with one of the senior developers of, of uh, I'm not exactly sure, uh, so I won't get into it too much, but this guy is very knowledgeable. He takes his salary in all Bitcoin. Um, it's, it's interesting because if that's the case, you know, and you agree upon this Bitcoin salary, you could suddenly be making almost nothing if like the value goes down 
Uh, That's true. Can you imagine, like, well, it, it, your job that you work at, say you make uh, $20 an hour, um, and can you imagine getting paid, and every time you get in, you're getting paid, it's fluctuating, like, 10 15%. Like, I mean... It was $225, uh, the value of a Bitcoin, last week, and right. now it's, like, 265 Right. It has gone up a little bit in the last week. But, I mean, the thing is, you know, when you are using that in the real world, the guys who get paid in Bitcoin, you know... They have a U.S. dollar salary that just gets converted to Bitcoin when payday comes. And then they're given the Bitcoins instead of, you know. So they're always getting $100 worth of Bitcoins. Just whatever $100 worth of Bitcoins may buy. Well, on that it doesn't day. really matter if it's that way or the other way because it fluctuates. So that your money that you have is not the same as it will be next week. Right, but that gives them the option to then just turn it right around if they want. They can go to one of the many Bitcoin exchanges and sell their Bitcoin. There's actually a physical Bitcoin exchange in New York City too. I mean, there's there's ATMs that they have available in certain places. <laughs> I I see this as as being something that, uh, and you can speak about that um, later if you'd like. Um, somewhere where people are not really very sure about the currency that they have in their home country, for example. So like something like Germany, who who knows uh, exactly how flippant the uh, you know currency can be. Um, from after World War One, for example, sure, uh, or World before, War Two, yeah, yeah. Uh, but here in the United States, it has been like a reasonably stable USD uh, of the past, you know, good amount of years. So that's why I think you don't see as high of a rate of adoption here as you do in places like Kenya, Germany, um, places right. where people don't want to trust their system. I like how you lump Kenya and Germany together like that. That's well, funny, but um, I mean, know, they they both have similar circumstances, and, and that their money isn't really uh, stable. It, you know, one of the great things that it can do is provide banking services to people. Uh, it can give people a secure way, uh, you know, to save to store their money. And if Bitcoin, uh, you know, becomes more steady, you know, regardless of what its value is compared to a dollar, as long as it becomes a lot more steady, then its usefulness increases. Um, so in a country, in a third world country where their, um, you know, where their currency is out of control, then there's no point in doing it. Uh, there's an example of, I believe in Kenya, they had a cell phone provider and the cell phone provider would allow, uh, its users to trade minutes with each other. And those minutes over the course of, um, you know, 10 years or so wound up being like 40% of the GDP, the, just the trading of those minutes, Wound up being forty percent of the GDP of the country, um, and that's just an example of how you know, given a much more efficient uh, and easy to use way, and all these people already have cell phones, um, you know, you can take something like Bitcoin and it can spread really rapidly in a country with a very poor economic system. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, the problem is it's not really super easy to use yet, and it's not available in a lot of places as a payment option. Right. Uh, but but going back to what what I was originally saying, so we we talked about what Bitcoin was, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but but I was asking specifically. So you choose a wallet. So so one, how do you choose a wallet? Do you want a paper wallet? Do you want an online wallet? Do you want something that you can download? Uh, what are private keys and and what are public keys? And how how does that whole thing work? Okay, so um, when you decide in your wallet, so we talked about uh, using cell phones. If you're going to hold a bunch of money, um, you can have a hardware wallet, which is essentially a wallet uh, that is on a flash drive, and that's what saves your uh, 
you know, it's what saves the Bitcoins for you and you can keep it offline. It's much harder for people to uh, get at it. It's a very secure way of doing it. So how would you access those Bitcoins on a USB drive? You would literally just, you know, when it comes time to use it, you would plug the USB drive in. You would uh, access it through a wallet. Um, you know, you could either do this kind of like all hard coded, but I would think that 99% of users are just going to use some sort of wallet. Um, so what you're going to do is maybe keep more than one wallet. You're going to keep a wallet on your phone to go out and spend money on, uh, you know, things you're going to buy every day. You're going to keep a wallet maybe on a USB drive, which is, you know, your 500 Bitcoins that you've been saving up. And you're going to transfer maybe one Bitcoin over every week uh, as like spending money, something like that. Um, you can have a paper wallet, like you said, where you literally are going to write down uh, private key information and then you keep it on paper. And, uh, you know, that is basically, um, you know, the way that you choose to secure it. Well, you can print it out as well. You could, you could take a... Right. You don't have to literally write it down with pen and paper. You could take an air gap computer. And, and this, if you were the most paranoid person in the world, this is how you would do it. You would take like an air gap computer, which is a computer that's never been connected to the internet. Uh, you, would, you would then uh, take like a, some Bitcoin wallet generation software and create some of that on the computer, print out an actual wallet, which contains the uh, public and private keys for your specific wallet. And then you would destroy the computer so that the computer was no longer around um, and no one could access that information. So you have just made yourself uh, a little piece of paper that contains, uh, whether it be QR codes or, or actual keys, um, your wallet. And no one else has that and no one else will ever have it because you have it and you're the only person that has that thing. Right. Um, now... Unless you lose your wallet. Whether or not that's a good thing, I don't know. I mean, um, if, if it gets burned up in a fire, you lose all of your money. If uh, someone steals it, you lose all your money. And they yeah, can't. I mean, if a giant magnet comes by your um, your USB drive, you lose it. But you can store a backup of it. You can only spend it once. But you can make multiple backups of your Bitcoins. So there are other websites, too. Um, there's, there's one called the, uh, armory, which is, is pretty secure. There's, there's one called blockchain, which is a very popular one. Um, and a lot of these wallets, some of them store your private keys. So they have them available to them, which means that it's almost like a regular bank because they have both the public and private keys. So they have access to your account if they really wanted it. There are some that don't store the private keys. They give them to you and they never have them. So that's kind of what you're looking for. I think that's basically like the, the best um, compromise between all of this uh, where you have a place that has the public key information, right? but it doesn't store your private keys. You are the only one that has access to that. So in order to do a transaction to actually spend a Bitcoin that you have, then you would have to provide that information uh, in order to match up with the other information, the public keys that are stored by that server uh, to make the transaction actually happen. So it's it's sort of like um, it's sort of like a bank, except the bank can take your money and spend it whenever they want to. Uh, and this uh, the bitcoins are are specifically in a location until you tell them to be somewhere else. Right. They can't uh, take your bitcoin and invest them somewhere else and. Um then give you back a different Bitcoin. Because all the Bitcoin miners out there running this software, um, they are basically constantly keeping this tally of 
what is the location of the Bitcoin? Where is it located? Is it moving? Is it staying put? Whatever. And so they all know exactly where all these coins are and whose wallets or if they're being transferred to someone else's wallet. Um, something cool is, is like, let's say you wanted to make a transaction to be fraudulent, kind of like how people used to spend checks. You'd write a four or $500 checks to different places and you only had $500 uh-huh. in your account. Well, it takes them a couple of days to cash the check. So you could do all those transactions and just deal with it later. But Bitcoin will resolve the transaction, figure out that the first one that was started, uh, happened. And if you only had that particular amount of bitcoin in your account the other ones will all be denied right and the idea you know is that it's going to take a lot quicker than two or three days for uh the parties involved to realize that something like that happens so that you know to sort of to help prevent fraud even though you know you you could uh in theory double spend bitcoins um you know it's also up to the merchants and stuff to decide when they're actually going to hand over the goods so so that's how you sort of put the the bitcoins in your wallet, keep them. Uh, in order to transfer them to someone else, it's pretty easy. You just know their Bitcoin address, you send it to them. A lot of things nowadays are, are just done by either your address, which you could just copy and paste, uh, and then you can have a transaction like through Amazon or Tiger Direct or a number of other uh, merchants that do accept bitcoins. Um, but so how do you actually get the bitcoins in the first place? Okay, so the... you. You and me would go to a Bitcoin exchange. We would buy Bitcoins on the exchange from someone who was selling Bitcoin. And this is not a physical location where we are. Right. And well, like I places. said, there's 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 literally a physical location you can go, but sure. there are no physical Bitcoins. The only uh, things that you could actually touch are just representations of the actual Bitcoin. Um, the other way to gain Bitcoins is to be a miner. If you're a miner, then uh, every 10 minutes... A miner who solves the increasingly difficult equation that Bitcoin is sort of based around uh, is given a reward of 25 Bitcoins. Sure, but and you, you can't be a miner. No. I mean, unless I had a you know, ridiculous setup, you know, the odds of actually being rewarded, the 25 coins are so small if you just run it on your home computer. Well, let's talk about it because it's interesting. When, when Bitcoin first came out, you actually had a chance, not a great chance, but a chance of, of making money from being a Bitcoin miner on your computer. And, right. and uh, what happened was, uh, as you said, this, these algorithms that are generated are uh, consistently harder and harder. Based so, on how many miners are on the network. Well, that, and and there's also uh, like a built-in sort of, you have to get through this big paper mache wall before you even get to the equation. So right. they, they fill in the blanks with a bunch of bullshit because... Well, they're making them do all of the transactions on the network. And there's also like and random this problem. There's random algorithms that are thrown in to prevent them from immediately right. trying to solve the equation. Well, right. The idea is that they want to solve the equation roughly every ten minutes. Well, that's just a product of the of the computational power. No, it was designed to be every ten to be around every ten minutes. There are other ones that are designed to go faster or slower. Um, you know, but this one was designed to go every ten minutes, and it's not exact. Well, um, so it used to be that you could have a computer doing these processes, uh, and then people realized that like the GPUs were much faster, so they would actually take graphics cards and uh, use applications with software that was specifically designed to run uh, Bitcoin mining uh, applications. And it, it was like three or four times, even even way faster than that sometimes. 
uh, to get the actual Bitcoins. Then people started making hardware solutions. And I remember reading about this in Wired a long time ago. Uh, there were hardware uh, computers designed specifically to mine Bitcoins that cost a lot of money. Nowadays, you can buy those same hardware solutions for just a couple hundred dollars. A lot of them are cheaper than that, 50, yeah. 100 bucks. Yeah. But the people that actually mine and actually get money from this, uh, they run farms. They run server farms full of this they hardware. They get a warehouse and they fill it with racks. And they don't only just operate by themselves, but they join up in these these big groups, these consortiums, uh, to then split up the amount of money that they get from mining the Bitcoins. And again, you could take your computer and sign up with somebody else, but your chances of, of getting Bitcoins or even a percentage worth running the electricity in your house are literally now around the same as they are winning the lottery. So this is something we kind of missed the ball on. <laughs> and if you win the lottery here, you only... Uh, 25 Bitcoin is... Let's see... It's we'll say it's uh, two hundred bucks, so that's for like forty five hundred dollars for five thousand dollars. I need numlock to figure this one out. It's a uh, six thousand one hundred and ten dollars. So that's nothing, right? So that's a pretty bad lottery. Basically, you shouldn't be doing this. It's kind of wasting your own resources. As a miner, that is. Yes. But anyways, that is how bitcoins are. New bitcoins come about. It's by uh, this mining action, and the miners also collect the transaction fees. So um, the one thing I couldn't figure out is, uh, and I don't know yet, but I, I'm going to figure this out when I write my article, is uh, do, does the miner who solves the equation get all the transaction fees as well as the 25? Or just do the transaction fees get split up among everyone on the network? Uh, no. Because that I, would make a lot more sense. I think they're, they're uh, just put out based on computational Based on value. how many you do it, yeah. Yeah, um, but the miner that does strike gold gets all 25 Bitcoins as the first transaction in the new block. Right, and that is every 25 minutes. So the block you just mentioned is... You said uh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I'm all over the place. Hey, right no now. problem. <laughs> uh, so uh, the block uh, that you just mentioned is the blockchain, they call it, uh, and it's basically the public ledger of every single Bitcoin transaction from the moment that they were generated until the current uh, block has ended. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the reasons why uh, Bitcoin is a little um, unwieldy even when you're using it on a computer or something like that is that you have to download the blockchain in order to be a node. Uh, like that in order to be a verifying node and it's uh i believe at current is about 25 gigabytes so it's not something that you like throw on your phone that's why in your phone you use those third-party wallets and they store the blockchain on their end and verify things for you and you just hold on to the private key uh, you know it's basically like having a safety deposit box that you can access at any time it's very nice um so yeah, the blockchain, uh, once it's complete, they give uh, 25 Bitcoins out. That's how new Bitcoins enter the world. Now, if a Bitcoin is lost, then it is gone forever. It can't be remade. Um, you know, there's uh, a few stories out there about Bitcoins that have been lost. Um, there was a guy, I believe, in uh, England who said he threw out a hard drive that had like seven or eight million dollars worth of Bitcoin on it. Uh, you know, if those those things can't be remade anywhere. Uh, so due to this inherent loss in the system, you will always have a little bit of deflation, which is the opposite of basically every other currency in the world, which experiences inflation. And there's, you know, we don't need to get into economics tonight, but 
there's economic theories about why inflation could be good. Um, but as a common person, I like to think that if I'm responsible and take care of my money, the fact that it will uh, gain value over time by me being responsible with it uh, is very appealing to me. You know, I think that, uh, you know, for the masses, deflation is a little bit better. Um, so, you know, it would have been really nice, don't you think, to have uh, picked up on this back in like 2009 and started a mining operation? Uh, well, I mean, we couldn't have done anything. It would have easily been outpaced by everyone else and then we just had to shut it down. Well, not necessarily. You could have been the first one. <laughs> But no, you never know. It, you, you literally have to create this giant business uh, and then pursue all of the new technologies and, and be the person that's there first or else you're not going to get enough out of it. I've read so many articles about people that have set up spare computers. They've bought like thousands of GPUs on eBay. Yeah. In fact, a lot of times you see GPUs on eBay now, which is something I was scared of when I was building one of my computers recently, uh, that they're just, uh, you know, being used for only Bitcoin mining and then totally, you know, used up, not even working well anymore. Yeah, when and it's time to replace them. They just sell them and they're basically expired. Like, they, fans, don't, <laughs> fans don't even work. Like, the thing... The chips are burned out. Yeah, it's been burned out. Um, and... Well, mining is going to be a big thing for a long time, I think. Only for huge companies that have the money to afford huge right. server farms. Yeah, and and that's what that's what it's going to be. It's going to be like a big bank running it because they're going to be making all the transaction fees. And it's already out of the hands of the regular person. Well, yeah, it has to be done on a large scale in order to be done uh, profitably. Well, that's all I'm saying. It was it was a very small amount of time where you or I or or one of our listeners could have run a couple of computers and, and had a chance at, at winning a whole bunch of money in this Bitcoin mining operation. At this point now, it is just fruitless for anybody to be doing that unless they literally have a company that does it with the newest hardware. Yeah. Because they are, I mean, we're talking about uh, exponentially um, you know, more powerful computers for this. Right. These computers don't do anything except I wonder for, if they're, run the algorithm. I wonder if it's like overkill, in fact. If if in their um, hope to get you know so many bitcoins that it's really there's just way more computing power on the network than they really need because you got to think like they can't possibly like you know you can look at the uh, blockchain live and see all the transaction going through but you know with all these server farms they can't be you know just processing transactions right why not. Well, I'm saying that's all. Okay, what I'm saying is that's all they're doing. Is that a waste? Uh, well, well, no. I mean, in addition to the transactions, which happen as an aside, there's also uh, this big, huge algorithm, and there's problems that are generated, and so it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. And every time you go through it, it may not be the problem. They're basically searching for uh, the magic number, uh, and what's funny is is it's really easy for for everyone to check. So once once a computer has come up with the number and it says, bingo, I got it. Well, all the other computers know what that number should be because they know how it fits into the equation. Right, they just have to take say, oh, this one? Oh, yeah, you're right. And so once someone says bingo, all the other computers then check to make sure that that guy actually has bingo. Uh, <laughs> so it, it is a very good system. Uh, and, and inherently, uh, the biggest minds looking at it right now don't really see very many major flaws. 
So that is, in and of itself, uh, quite an amazing thing. Um, it's one of those things where, where you wonder, you know, someone traveled back in time to, to, uh, to install this or something. Because it seems like yeah. this, uh, this algorithm, this idea, you know, maybe beyond our current time. Well, that's very interesting that you put it that way. Because uh, Bitcoin was started as a research paper by a gentleman, uh, in quotes, I suppose, named Satoshi Nakamoto. Right. Um, and there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Satoshi Nakamoto is actually a real person. Uh, you know, there may be some guy named Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, there's a few clues in the, um, code. Like it's not really, uh, the original code wasn't written like necessarily by a coder. It was more of by an engineer who knows how to code. Well, it's, it's pseudocode. Right. And it's not, uh, it wasn't written in Japanese. There's no comments in Japanese. Um, so they think that it Satoshi Nakamoto may actually be, and that's just the royal they, just the people out there, um, may be just a, a group of people who came up with this. Probably. Or maybe it's the doctor. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor was reincarnated as a Japanese man. Or what is it? Regenerated. All right. So, um, you know, it was really... You know, with that research paper, the software was released in 2009. It was the first practical cryptocurrency. It's the one that's really taken off. Um, I know a couple of, about a year or so ago, when um, like uh, Dogecoin and Litecoin and a few of these other coins uh, really looked like um, like maybe a different one could be the one that, to really take off. Uh, Bitcoin was uh, the name that everyone knew, but it was kind of this same size as a lot of these as some of these other ones but now it's you know it keeps growing and it's uh i think it's becoming a little bit more well known it's becoming accepted at more places um and it's kind of it's really taken off and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that um it's the original and it's been around the longest again i mean a lot to be said about this is early adopters almost every single place i go every single day there is no way to pay with bitcoins so this is this is totally not like a a thing that is going to happen imminently this, this is something that is oh, no. early adopter that you have to search out places specifically to go pay in bitcoin especially if they're brick and mortar physical places there's hardly anywhere i've ever been that has said you can pay with bitcoin you have to search these places out so this is not especially in the united states especially where we are in, in you know this this area around chicago not something that you can you can do as far as here's all my money it's in bitcoin would you please take it people will be like no <laughs> <laughs> i have no interest i don't know what that is you know whatever but there is something to be said about uh, uh adopting these technologies early if you believe in this if it's something that uh that you think may uh stand the test of time for example then not only do you have the chance of of making money just because it could be worth more in the short term uh, as well as the long term than it is right now, but also because uh, the foundation of what it's based on, it's based on something. Our current you know, uh, money, if it, talking about U.S. dollars, is sort of based on like the gold standard, but no, we got away from that. It's based on the faith of the government. That's it, really. Well, it was originally based on gold. Definitely originally. And at this Once point, upon a time. now, I mean, any government prints money because they need more money. That's how it works. 
And uh, well, that's the thing. It's not the government that's printing the money. It's a private corporation that prints the money. The federal, uh, the the treasury is not the treasury. Um, why can't I think of the name of the organization? And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, please no, continue. No problem. I'm just saying. Uh, the point is, uh, we have dollars, and those dollars were originally based on gold, but they're no longer based on gold, right? Right. And, and that's what Absolutely. I was that's what I was saying. So I mean, this is is now based on more of like an algorithm, and uh, based on the fact that that eventually there will be uh, like less and less of this because after a certain amount of years, the value that is received by uh, by mining something is is halved. Right. Every uh, 210 blockchains, 210,000 blockchains. So it becomes less and less valuable, which means there's almost a finite amount uh, of this available. Um, it becomes more valuable because of that. Yes. Like one Bitcoin is worth more over the long run. There'll be 21 million Bitcoins in total when they're done mining it. Okay. Uh, the the main problem is that you know we see all these these issues with like people stealing wallets and and stealing bitcoins and things like that and it's not even all that viable right now. There's not that many people using it, and if that's happening right now, then I they need to get a grip on all of this. They need to make things more secure. Uh, but I do agree with Jason, and that uh, this is something that is being adopted, especially by this new generation of people. So if you talk about uh, our generation that we belong in currently is the millennials, which is like 18 to 34, mm -hmm. uh, as we currently stand in 2015, uh, the generation that comes after us is going to look at Bitcoin as a viable currency that they can use if they want to. Um, and, and getting back to what I was saying before, um, it is not that easy yet to use it, to get it, to use it. It's not that easy. It's very difficult, in fact, for, for, for most people. So we were talking about how to use it. Well, we, we went over a little bit about uh, you know how to get a wallet. And you can go to these websites, sign up for the wallet, put in your information and grab it. Uh, and then once you have that wallet, you can get... Um, you can get bitcoins by he said there's an actual physical bitcoin exchange you can also yeah, there's one in new york city you can also access them online in in various different arenas do you have uh, any links in particular to uh like a online bitcoin exchange people could use um i think coin or is coinbase an exchange um we'll link in the article uh it's a wallet. There's a number of exchanges out there that you can go to, but there's not very many. This is this is my whole point: is that this is still very very much on the early side of things. Yeah. And those Bitcoin exchanges are private companies, basically. They're there in order to well, they're facilitating and taking a little bit of the transaction, right? And that's different than a Bitcoin to Bitcoin transaction that we were talking about earlier. That has a very micro uh, percentage fee. As a percentage, as a transaction. Sure, these people are going to take as much as they can because there's no one there to do it. Right, so and the transactions, you know, can be like one percent. So, I mean, you, we talk about uh, about there being good advantages here as far as like with Visa and Mastercard, they take a whole bunch of the transaction when they're doing credit card processing. Not true with Bitcoin currently. In fact, like Jason said, you can even have a transaction go through as a merchant 
with 0% transaction fees if you don't mind waiting a little longer. Right. Uh, but there are plenty of places that are taking the capitalistic approach and they're selling you Bitcoins at a super premium because right now there's not a good way to get them. You, I, can't, you can't just go and grab them for cheap. Right. I So I found my list. I had it. I knew I had it. Uh, so there's Coindesk. There's Bitstamp. Uh, there's a few other ones. If you go to Coindesk.com, you can get a price of everything. You can uh, sort of see what the rate is on the different exchanges. And they're all within just like a couple of dollars of each other. This is your beer. Sorry. Time for uh, a refill on our Growler beer. This is an excellent beer, by the way. I really like it. I know I was talking it up earlier, too, but Jesus after toast. having a hold one, I say Jesus toast. Very good. That would be awesome to say instead of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, yeah, and they take advantage of this fact that, like, the fluctuation is up and down. A lot of people right now think they're investing in Bitcoin, so they're like, I'm going to buy 10 of them because I think it'll be $1,000 in two years. But there's no standard. There's nothing that says that will happen. I mean, right. it could be worth nothing. It's not an investment tool. We're not recommending it as an investment tool. Um, I think that, you know, if people invest in it, you know, only very smart people who are investing a very small amount of their total money to invest are going to do that. So the way that you can get it right now is sort of fundamentally flawed because uh, like the, the reasons you like Bitcoin and, and so do I is because there are less transaction fees, etc. But in order right. to get it, we have to spend more money. Um, yeah, I mean, someone has to spend money to get it. You could also provide a service and accept payment in Bitcoin. That way you don't have to go through an exchange. Well, you could, of course. But I mean, if, if you are a consumer, you, you're not a merchant. I suppose you're right. But everyone is a merchant in their own way. Well, I mean, you know, if you could convince your boss to pay you a, a little bit in Bitcoin every month, then you wouldn't have to worry about that. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, would I you, mean, would I don't you think... be able to do that? I wouldn't. No, I mean, I work at a big company. I don't think that they're going to want to deal with that. I think um, the only people that will pay but, you in Bitcoin okay. are tech companies. Here you go. Say uh, you did a show for a guy at a bar and he liked Bitcoin a whole lot. He offered to pay you in Bitcoin. If you had already started using it, you would certainly, you know, be open stop to it. I say did a show. I, he means that I, I play guitar. You're in a band. I think we've established that on the podcast. Yeah, well, people may not have been listening to all the shows, so I don't want How you to How could you have not listened to every single one of our shows? I don't want you to just be telling people that I'm doing a show for a guy at a bar when they have no <laughs> idea what that could entail. So, yes, uh, give them the context, sir. Okay. Uh, so I'm playing a concert at a show, and a guy gives me Bitcoin as a tip. Sure. problem I mean, is he wouldn't be able to because he wouldn't know what my wallet was. Well, you would. he would have to say, I want to give you a couple... Bitcoin, you know, a couple it bucks becomes a complicated procedure. You could, okay, say you played at a coffee shop and you left your guitar open, your guitar case open to get tips. Uh, you could just put the QR code up. And how many tips do you suppose I would get from the open guitar case with a QR code? I'm just saying it's possible, man. <laughs> Well, I'm it's talking much about more, it's much easier. I love the the possibility of this digital currency i just want to keep you grounded in reality i'm just saying like it could you know i'm not saying that you need to be like andreas antonopoulos who accepts his salary in bitcoin um yeah that guy doesn't need any money though no i mean he's probably 
fine. So, but you know, you think he has no like uh, like actual currency in banks? Well, like anyone who uses Bitcoin right now, they are you know the realists. They know that they can't pay their rent with Bitcoin. They need to change a lot of it back into U.S. money or whatever country they live in, and uh, you know use it in a way that everyone else is going to accept it. Um, you the, know, the reason that's why the it, biggest drawback really to Bitcoin is that it's being used by so few people. Well, exactly. So, so th- although the rate of adoption is not low, the the fact that like the idea that this could be a currency as widespread as the U.S. dollar is sort of far fetched at this time. The the at its current rate of adoption, that would take probably hundreds of years. Yeah, it would. There, there has to be some sort of, if not more, so much quicker uptake in the use of Bitcoin at some point. What people that are supporters of Bitcoin would need to happen is for everyone, everyone's, uh, every nation's uh, currency to collapse in order for people to really get behind uh, this kind of cryptocurrency because of the security it offers. Yeah, I mean, so this is sort maybe of maybe like, not every, maybe just a couple at first. A couple. So you, but we're kind of saying like, uh, like. <laughs> exactly. Not that we're rooting for that or anything. No, but that's exactly the the point here. Is this is something that is like being built up as sort of a survivalist shelter in the Appalachian Mountains. I don't really look at it that way. I sort of see it as a way. You know, no, you can spend it in a regular capacity. Yeah, but it's not. It's not easy to use. It's not easy to get. It's uh, maybe in our it, context, it's like that. And it's not. Uh, there's no real reason to do it unless you think that um, uh, that some of these currencies will collapse, and you want something that doesn't have uh, isn't being controlled by uh, by a private company. Right, and you know that's one of the big draws of this is that there is no private company. Well, and we're seeing in charge of Bitcoin. Some sometimes there is a private company in charge of your shit, though, because there are plenty of it wallets. Depends on what wallet you choose. Yeah. So, of course, like everything else, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, when they came out with e-cigarettes and you had uh, companies like uh, like R.J. Reynolds and like, you know, other tobacco companies making e-cigs uh-huh. because they're like, well, if we're going to lose out on that, we're just going to come in on this. Right. We... So, I mean, I'm sure there's banks and stuff that are, are opening up subsidiaries that are operating Bitcoin wallets that are uh, going to make it so they still have control over the money. Um, that certainly could be. I wonder where a wallet then is going to really like make their money. Are they going to operate as exchanges usually then, do you think? I don't know. Like, I guess the fundamental difference here is that if you have your money in a checking or savings account or IRA or, or something else, an IRA is a little different because it's tax deferred. And it's gaining um, interest. You know, that's the point. Well, a savings account is still gaining interest. Well, not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, most people's savings accounts don't gain interest in a manner that makes it worth putting in a savings account. No, but there's a there's sort of a reason on paper for you to put it there. For that's what they tell you is you put it in here, you can save it, and then it will also gain some kind of low level of uh, of interest. But it's, I mean, it's like less than one percent now. When we were kids, it made sense because you could gain four percent, three to four percent on money that just sat there that you weren't going to use except unless you had an emergency well i can't argue this point because i don't know the percentages of the savings accounts over the years regardless um they're offering you something whereas like this is like it's a stronghold but you're not investing your money but that's the point is you're not investing it 
That's the point. Is you have it. It's basically like uh, keeping your money underneath your mattress, um, because you want the money physically in your hands, not available to other people to use. Correct. Right. Okay. So uh, is that a good thing? Do you think that people will start using this as a as a sort of a stronghold that they can keep somewhere? Um, I, I I'm just wondering how. Let's say you had. $40,000 and you were going to put $20,000 of it in a Bitcoin account because you were interested in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So would you be doing that specifically to like keep it safe out of the hands of private companies? Uh, and if so, I mean, what what would be your positives and negatives that could come out of that? Personally, I don't see why I would uh, do it that way. If only because, you know, at smaller amounts like that, we're guaranteed... Uh, you know, insurance on that money. So you're just interested in Bitcoin in general. I'm very interested in using it on on a regular basis, and I'm really interested in how um, you know it can help the billions of people in the world who have never had banking services in their life. So the way that that can help stabilize people's economies so and grow it. Of those people that have no banking services in life, they have cell phones and and wallets and internet and are able to spend bitcoin like what more people have cell phones than banks where is this happening where is it happening that you don't have a checking account cell phones are everywhere now man well cell phones have become like super ubiquitous of course they have but what i'm saying is where is it happening that you you don't have a checking account but you are putting money in bitcoin and trying to spend it at locations i mean that's kind of insane isn't it it seems there's Pretty... a lot of people who don't have access to banks. Why? Because they don't like like the people who are really poor who make and this actually plays to like, you know, the micropayment. Uh, How do you not have access to a bank? My my Because bank... somebody who makes uh you know, somebody who makes 40 cents an hour, uh there's no bank that's interested in holding on to that money. But they have a Bitcoin account and they're they're spending money on Bitcoin? They have cell they have a cell phone. <laughs> Maybe I don't understand. Um, 40 cents an hour and you have a cell phone plan? Dude, 86% of people in the world have cell phones. Perhaps they should rethink that (laughs) if they're making 40 cents an hour. (laughs) I mean, it's just how uh, cell phones are so, like, we're taking, you're taking the technology uh, that is available and utilizing it in a way to provide more things. Yeah, but we're coming up with like statistics now that I, I can't like prove or disprove. Uh, my point is, if, if you're a poor person, uh, you're not going to be looking to Bitcoin. You're not even going to know where you can spend it or, you know. Right, they're not going to know anything about it. Hell, a lot of people who have bank accounts and know about Don't know anything about it. Don't Bitcoin. know anything about it. Right. And so I, I am I am perfectly happy happy to to agree with you, uh, and, and I think that the whole point of this is to educate people on what Bitcoin is, and and maybe it can be a good standard that is an alternative currency, so that your money is not controlled by Chase or Bank of America or whatever your uh, you know your bank happens to be in the country that you choose to live in. Yeah. Or don't choose to live in. We don't need to get in that discussion either. Well, I mean, like you said, it's very unknown, and that's a huge problem to it. But just, I, I just looked up a couple of numbers. So this comes from The Economist. Um, you know, in the West, 89% of adults have bank accounts. In the developing world, only 41%. So 
Um, we know that worldwide, 86% of people have cell phones. Here's the real big thing, though. Um, half of adults have credit cards in the West, and only 7% of them have credit cards in developing countries. So, you know, sure. now you can buy things online with Bitcoin. You know, these people all have cell phones. They can buy things online now. They don't all have cell phones. 86% of the world has cell phones. I don't know what percent of those poor people and what percent of the richer people have cell phones. I would say 100% of the rich people. Well, if you break and it down whatever, like that, then you're yeah, talking about still, a much smaller percentage of people that are poor that have cell phones. Those numbers are misleading. What I'm saying is 86% of the people in the world. So if the yeah, we Western world what, is about, I don't know. We don't know what those percentages are. Right? We can't. We can't. I don't. I don't have them. a breakdown of that one. No. You can't pull the numbers out. I mean, you imagine that more people in the West then have cell phones than the other people that are poorer. And I'm, you know, saying West because you said West, but right. The the richer people have cell phones and the poor people don't. And if the poor people have cell phones, then they don't have money to spend on anything else because they bought a cell phone. <laughs> I don't. I mean, they're not going to buy a cell phone because it's a neat thing. If they're really poor, they're going to buy it because they because it's useful to them. Well, that's fine. But if that's the case, you know, I don't see where there's extra income to be put into some cryptocurrency. It doesn't make sense. They don't have to put money into it. That's the thing. You have to get, you have to buy Bitcoins. You, you do have to have the Bitcoin to start with. But look, I mean, you know. If you can't buy food, how are you going to buy Bitcoins and start wandering around finding? Look, a lot of these poorer countries get, (laughs) get, just get aid handed to them anyways. If, uh, someone decided we can in drop order bitcoins from helicopters. to give it wouldn't hurt anybody <laughs> except they don't exist. They're, it was like we're just we're, dropping bitcoins figuratively. <laughs> you know, if we were to uh, give, you know, have you ever heard of microloans um, to the you know third world? No, people who uh, live in the first world, so to speak, uh, give microloans of like five hundred dollars to. People who want to start a business in Indonesia or something like that, you know, say you could give that person a micro loan and you could give them half of the money in Bitcoin. How is that related to anything? That's not. I'm saying that's a way to get them Bitcoin. Like you're so worried about the you're so worried about the fees involved in entering Bitcoin. It's lower than the fees involved with using credit cards and stuff like that, even at exchanges. That's not correct if you're actually paying off a credit card. If you're paying it off every month, then there are no fees involved with it. It's free. There's no annual fees with it? Most credit cards don't have annual fees. I have plenty of them that don't. I mean, if, if you choose a credit card that has an annual fee, you've chosen that card. Right. Um, it, but, but we're not getting into the semantics of, of credit cards versus Bitcoin. There's totally unrelated. I mean, we have one predominant way that people... Uh, pay and and i guess in the united states that's probably credit uh second would probably be cash right i would think so yeah and then uh third would be alternative currency bartering currency which is by the way i think what like the uh um would it be the fcc or the irs or whoever's in charge of this kind of thing what they would eventually put bitcoin under the category of would be sort of like that that same thing. Uh, Almost like a commodity. Well, yeah, so it's bartering. So, like, sales tax is still applied to it. Um, it oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. From buying it. But but to tell you the truth, I mean, unless it's happened recently, I don't think they've actually come down with a ruling. I think people have just decided, merchants have decided, and, and so have the consumers, that 
it's the same thing. There will be sales tax. Whatever that sales tax is will come Well, out yeah. Of I mean, that's just, you know. It's the rule of the government. You have to. You still have to obey the rule of the government. When you're selling goods, you, of course, have to charge sales tax still. Yeah. Um, so it'd be that same thing. But I think what I, what I thought you were referring to is uh, literally charging sales tax on people selling you bitcoins. Uh no no I okay. don't I don't think so um, okay but uh, but 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 as you said before I mean if, if we talk about I, I think we got off track a little bit talking about like people in third world countries buying bitcoins through a bitcoin exchange because that's probably not how they're going to come across <laughs> bitcoins eventually if they do get them that someone's just going to give them to them as like here's how you buy things and here's our grocery store which by the way it takes bitcoin so spend money there which is probably going to be good for the grocery store because the same person owns it uh i mean everyone's a capitalist you know right <laughs> i have no problem with that but but yeah, I mean, these, these people aren't going to be going online on their computers to Bitcoin exchanges and purchasing Bitcoins on their Bitcoin wallets and printing them out with their printers. <laughs> no, but more people have access to the internet in the, you know, in the undeveloped world than credit cards. You know, these stats aren't really anything, though. I mean, you talk about access to the internet. It doesn't mean... They, they could have a, a, a computer that has like Look, a 25 megahertz processor from, in, from in 1993. India, in India, there are computer terminals that are Wikipedia only. And I'm sure that um, that counts as access to the internet. But they can't, you know, it, it's not as useful as other things. But isn't that cool, though? They have, you know, they have computers everywhere that have access to the internet and it's Wikipedia. Well, it is cool. And we should have a conversation about this. Uh, but oh, We should do a Wikipedia episode. Uh, I think that sounds boring. Are we just going to, like, say topics and then what Wikipedia says about them? <laughs> Wikipedia's got some crazy-ass pages. I mean, for us who has who have access to everything easily um, in the United States, here we have a lot of options available to us, and you know we might not necessarily like our jobs um, or or whatever, but we still make plenty of money to buy whatever we want at any time. I mean, if I want, I would to, say whatever I need. Not whatever I want. I mean, look, I could I could go out right now and buy like a car or like a guitar, and so could you. You, you don't have the that money though. You have that credit. It doesn't matter. It's it matters to who? To me. Why does it matter to you? I don't necessarily like. Yes, I could as a upstanding working citizen choose to put myself into more debt in order to acquire things i'm not talking about that i'm saying you have the ability to buy whatever you want you know and, and easily flat screen tvs internet access you know um things that are stuff that people in other countries couldn't even dream of having. there's yeah, there's lots of things like i can go and get a beer and that i don't even think twice about it you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, is this $5 something I need to eat dinner with tomorrow? So it's different for us, uh, you know, especially when we, we start talking about the, the, the differences and, and how that works for, uh, for someone in a, in a third world country. But, right. And that's how we are, like you said, much more early adopters rather than uh, people who it's actually meant for. Yeah, you look at the numbers and you say, uh, say there's a million people that use Bitcoin, and between them they have how many coins? 14, 14 million. 14 million coins. So obviously, I guess what that means is that there are some people that have a lot of Bitcoins. Uh, and then the rest is probably spread out, and then there's probably some people that have hardly anything at all. There has been like a recent outcropping of websites 
that are these faucets where you can just get little satoshis, which are uh, tiny increments of bitcoins that you would take thousands or, or tens of thousands to even add up to a cent. It would right, right. And the reason for that, I think, is uh, is one because those sites make money on the internet. If you create a site like that and you give people a drip, they're going to like it. However, you're having them click on ads in order to get the drip. Which means that although they're getting money that they can see, that money is they can so small. Right. When they when the website is making money, they're making money in bigger increments. A Satoshi is one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. Now, um, like we said earlier, two hundred and thirty about two hundred and forty five dollars uh, is one Bitcoin at the moment. Uh, so I don't know how much a Satoshi would actually wind up being in terms of money. Um, but the practical, uh, level that people talk, discuss, uh, Bitcoin in right now are millibits, I believe, which is one one thousandth of a Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. And one, one us dollar is currently 407,515 Satoshis. 407,000. And through drips, you were able to get about 500. So you're 0.1% of the way there. Well, the point is, uh, you know, every time you create something like this, uh, especially something that is uh, not very well known or understood, then people just try to make money off of it. There are sure. short, there's like probably 30, 40, 50 websites on the internet already that all they're doing is giving people this slow drip of money and they think they're making money, but all they're doing is clicking on advertisements in order to make those people the money. I'm sure that they're not getting. Uh, you know, the electricity they're spending in order to get that probably isn't worth it. The internet that they're paying for to access it probably isn't worth the, that drip uh, that the users are getting. Obviously, it's worthwhile for the person who sets up the site. Yeah. And that's really, you know, I like that. I think that that's kind of cool. Like, Bitcoin is going to, uh, you know, maybe it won't be Bitcoin. But, you know, in a couple hundred years, money is going to be different than what we know of it today. And it's probably going to be one of these decentralized cryptocurrencies. I don't know. I mean, we, we talk about different things like this, uh, like Internet Time, for example. Do you remember Internet Time? Yes, I do. And and Internet and Time. Bill was, Gates really want to do that? A, a lot of people did. I think it will happen, but I don't think it did happen. The point being, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, everyone exists all over the world at different time zones. But the Internet is a place that exists without time. Uh, it's just a present that you are on. So there's no reason for me, as far as I'm concerned, to have the same time when I'm on the internet and talking to people on the internet that I have by myself. Because if I'm talking to someone time. from the Philippines, they're going to be 12 hours different from what I am. Right. So what is the point of even discussing time? It's just if you want to meet somewhere, if you want to have a webinar, if you want to uh, go play a game together. It'd be better if you just had one centralized time that you could say, rather than saying 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard and 1 p.m. Central Time and 12 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. You know what I mean? Yeah. 12 so, a.m. Filipino time. Yeah. So if you're talking to all these people, it'd be better to have one centralized time. Now, I I think that the way that the world works is that eventually um, we either blow ourselves up. Or everybody has one. I think that's always an option. Currency, one time, one language. Like you know, that will eventually happen. It's kind of an eventuality. Uh huh. Um, no, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But 
I absolutely love the ideas behind Bitcoin. I love the algorithm. I think you explained it a really good way. Um, the one thing I don't think we touched on too much of yet was, and I think I was a little negative about, but there, there are places you can spend it. So, so one, how do you actually spend it? So let's say you have it on a phone or you have it on a paper wallet or you have it on your computer. So how do you spend your Bitcoins and where can you spend them online and where can you spend them in like an actual brick or mortar location? Okay, so when you're going to actually spend it, um, the easiest way that I think most people would see it is when you're at the merchant, they're going to have a tablet or something up and it's going to pull up a QR code which says, um, send me... Um, so it would, you know, it would, it send would, me 0.537 Bitcoin. It would probably say, first of all, like, do you want to pay with PayPal, Bitcoin, uh, cash? We're, we're assuming that we've already gone yeah. to the point where we're going to be paying with Bitcoin. Right. Uh, a QR code comes up or a code that you can just manually type in. And then you just take a photo of the QR code, just like you would with your phone or with anything else. And then you enter your private key and there off goes your Bitcoins. Um, and then over the course of, uh, you know, 10 to 60 minutes, the transaction gets verified throughout the network and the merchant has that money that they could then go ahead and use at the end of the day to pay their vendors and to pay uh, their employees. Or they could just take that money basically as soon as it's theirs to spend and send it to an exchange and get, uh, you know, get their local currency for it. That's um, uh, there was an episode of Inside Man with Morgan Spurlock. He did Bitcoin for a whole episode, and he was able to buy groceries at a bodega. And yeah, what but, the guy but, does, he just takes all the money at the end of the day and turns it back into American dollars. Granted, but but he's in New York, right? And you know, living in Brooklyn, obviously, you're going to be able to go places. Although it was funny, he was like almost entirely unable to find a coffee shop that took Bitcoin because hardly anyone takes Bitcoin, right? I so mean, we're even in Chicago, in, we could go in Chicago and we could find a couple places that would take. Bitcoin. We might be able to go to dinner and pay with Bitcoin, but we maybe. probably couldn't do it in the suburbs. I doubt it. You know, um, I don't so, know. I don't know of anywhere specifically. So a lot of places online will take Bitcoin, and in fact, I think it's only online right now. But um, Tiger Direct that you mentioned earlier accepts Bitcoins. We actually have a brick and mortar Tiger Direct right down the street. I don't think that you can spend the Bitcoins there though. I don't you have to so. spend them online. Yeah, but um, IBM, Dell, Dell is going to be accepting it. Overstock was the first one to accept Bitcoin way back in January of 2014. So kudos to them for being a you know. Uh, there's the early adopters, and then before them comes the lunatic fringe. Yeah, probably because Overstock uh, is is throwing out like desperation moves to still be a company. Yeah, we're kind of like Amazon. I swear. I mean, how many <laughs> how many people do you know buy things from Overstock.com? So a bunch of uh, you know, a few airlines will accept it. Um, Do they know, really? There's a bunch of websites. I know there's a cheapair.com, well, which is a fringe uh, connector to airlines, but I'm not sure that like American Airlines or Delta or United will actually accept it. There's Air Baltic um, and Air Lutanica, um, and they're both Eastern European airlines. <laughs> okay. So they're not really... Uh, you know, relevant to us at the moment. So there's not a whole lot you can do airline. So in terms of, yeah. Um, so Unless you can buy, there's a website that you can buy gift cards with Bitcoin. That may be the most relevant to uh, but just does that, a regular early adopter in America who just kind of gets some Bitcoin, maybe wants to turn it back into money at some point. Does that website charge more for the, the gift cards than the money's actually worth? I'm sure that you're paying somewhere 
for it. So we're not there yet, uh, but we're getting there. Right. There, you know, and there are places online, and especially like I was talking about Amazon. You could buy stuff on Amazon, which means from Amazon, from Overstock, uh, from Tiger Direct, you can use actual uh, equivalent USD currency. I'm. I don't think they uh, like price grab on you or anything. Right, right. They are just going to accept whatever the going rate is that day. So that's good. We need more people like them to accept it. If all the merchants accept it, then it becomes a standard currency that anyone can use. But right, right now, it's it really much more It's really accepted. just the online. Uh, okay, so you can go to a Sacramento Kings game and you can buy your ticket with Bitcoin. You can buy a hot dog and a beer with Bitcoin. You can get a jersey. And uh, they will, at, at home games, you can basically have a whole night. On Bitcoin. Next, you'll tell me the Nashville Predators accept uh, Bitcoin. Because <laughs> I'm both, not going to try and get you to go to a hockey game, Dave. Bo- Don't worry. Both are places I would love to go. Sacramento. <laughs> the Sacramento Kings. Nashville Predators. Fantastic friends. We can go see the San Jose Earthquakes. They also accept, uh, or they they also accept Bitcoin. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Expedia says they'll soon be accepting Bitcoin. Uh, there's a hotel inn in Brooklyn that accepts Bitcoin. You know, not not a whole lot. You know, but it's it's fun to kind of see. I'm sure that if we were to check back next year, this list would be ten times longer. Now, one of the things we didn't really I get that feeling. bring up is that you you have this Bitcoin thing, which is money, and it's and it's able to be transferred back and forth. Uh, I wonder if perhaps Bitcoin is being used for more nefarious purposes. It certainly has been because it would be pretty easy to to have Bitcoin to transfer it to another user without it being uh, regulated or seen by the uh, the federal government because they wouldn't know who is who based on these anonymous wallets. So this is kind of an easy way, isn't it, for people that are criminals uh, to transfer money to one another without it being under the guise of, uh, or not guise. There's uh, no uh, oversight. oversight. Uh, so two examples of that. Um, you may have heard of the Silk Road, which was sort of this website on, um, was it on Tor, right? Yeah, so... Uh, you you'll explain it better than me <laughs> and i'll give the second example when you're done well it's easy anonymous internet a place people go to buy and sell drugs and uh you know exchange goods such as drugs uh hitmen guns guns you know, whatever you can't legally buy yeah and so th- these places these dark corridors on the internet will always exist sure um there's always gonna be shady alleys but uh but go on okay so you know bitcoin was uh widely known at the beginning as the only uh the only use for Bitcoin was for terrorists and drug dealers, right? Um, you know, it's nice that these legitimate companies and, uh, you know, it's starting to feel a lot more like a real thing and not just something that, um, you know, drug dealers and terrorists deal in. Um, but an interesting thing that uh, just recently happened. So Coinbase is a, an exchange um, and, uh, you know, they were one of the best exchanges in the industry, but they're uh, one of their execs resigned because the company basically told investors that they could use Bitcoin to get around uh, economic sanctions. That, you know, um, if you are Iranian, uh, an Iranian-American, and you live here, you're not allowed to send money back to your relatives in Iran. You're not allowed to have any sort of economic dealings. Like If you're from North Korea, you can't send them money. But if they have Bitcoin, you know, there's no borders with mm. bitcoin so it could be sent uh you know that's a thing that does exist that is true um maybe the executives at 
uh, Bitcoin exchanges shouldn't be pointing that out to their investors as sort of a selling point. Well, I think most of the people that, that know or but would it's use that uh, already know and use that. And I don't think it's a majority of users, but I would, would think it's a pretty like large amount of people that are probably using this as an anonymous way to send money back and forth when they don't want to be tracked by the government. Yeah. Um, and whether you think that's good or bad, I mean, that's another discussion. And we have ethical discussions all the time. And I think you would say something like, well, it's better that it's anonymous and the government can't track you. Uh, and I would say something like, well, but the government can't track the, the really bad usage for the money, so they should be able to regulate it and track it. And of course, there's no real solution to any of that because there's, there's no way for them to track it and still be anonymous. That's true. That's very true. So You it, can only... I don't know. As it stands right now, you can only have one or the other. So it, it becomes a serious problem. Uh, and probably the biggest uh, negative, besides the fact that people can steal your money uh, through key loggers, through spyware, through adware on your computer. Yeah, um, if you have a vulnerable system. And, and you and I both know, as, as people that have grown up in this uh, most recent, uh, well, second most recent generation, sorry to date us. We uh, are. Uh, as millennials, we're getting we, older, Dave. We are those people, like I said, from 18 to 34 that teach all of our relatives and uh, you know uh, co-inhabitants of the earth how to use computers because they have no idea. Um, and in in such, I've never really had to teach anyone younger than me how to use things. Well, <laughs> it's always people older than me. Yes, well, that's that's true to a point. Although I think that some people that are younger, and that's another episode, but I think some people that are younger uh, have a much more simplistic approach where they may not actually know the things behind the things they just know how to get what they want and not why it works there could also be just a more natural intrinsic understanding of what's going on like maybe you know yeah you never know you never know how smart a person is i suppose well there's tests for that but um i suppose you're right but but so as far as you and i are concerned let's say that we uh you you know have our uh, our parents or our relatives using Bitcoin, for mm-hmm. example, right? Uh, I mean, that is going to be tough because these are the same people that all the time get viruses on their computer for opening up emails and clicking on links that they shouldn't be clicking on. That's true. And it could very easily end up that like someone that we know loses a whole bunch of money because uh, they basically allowed a keylogger onto their system. That person saw exactly what they did uh, and, well... Not saw like on a video camera, but but that would Are be trans- able to know what yeah yeah info would be transmitted to is. them. Here's the password. Take the money. Put it in another account. And because of the anonymous nature of Bitcoin, uh, and because of the prevalence of uh, viruses and spyware, we could see a major outbreak of a massive amount of uh, of like money stealing and laundering um, that would be untraceable by any government organization, and we would have no idea who was taking it or how much they were taking. We would probably know exactly how much they were taking because of the blockchain. You would be able to see, you can literally see the transactions as they happen in uh, real time. You're correct, actually. And it's actually kind of cool. Like, you can just look up, you know, real-time Bitcoin transactions. Just search for that on the internet, and you get a running list of all the transactions. And a lot of it is $5, $10, $100. And every once in a while, you get somebody who's transferring 500 Bitcoins. Yeah. You know, and it's like $37,000. Like, what did they just buy for $37,000? Most of the time, I, I mean, those goods and services, I mean, I don't know. I, you can I buy a car? I don't know. 
Well, I imagine maybe, it, the, maybe Elon Musk takes Bitcoin. If I had a, a bunch of money to play with, then and there were other investors or or people that also had a bunch of money to play with, yeah, I would you know play poker for Bitcoin and stuff. There is, I believe, let me consult that site. I believe that there's online gambling with Bitcoin. Well, of course there is. There's, <laughs> of course there is. There's one called Kate something. I'm familiar with that. Satoshi Dice makes sense. Uh, that that's just a terrible website. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we have to worry about these things a little bit. I mean, are you worried about them? Uh, these are things that that don't that aren't problems necessarily. Um, you know, in a broader sense, with money that's more easily tracked, but money has always given birth to these kinds of issues. Yeah. It's just that now, if it's completely anonymous, then we seriously have like it's, some things to talk about. It's pseudo anonymous, isn't it? Because you can track where the money's coming from. So, say you have a political uh, candidate, and he's spending money. Through a public account, you know, in in a way that the public has to know about it. No, on, you can't. You can't track where the money's coming from. You can though. You can say, okay, well, this money uh, that he's spending came from here. All Bitcoin wallets. You don't know who it's from, but you can track it a certain way. And you know, at some point, like uh, some money is going to be, uh, you know, some some of it is going to be known. What? Why? You know, they'll know, uh, okay, so there was an auction of Bitcoins, uh, Bitcoins that were seized by the government. That sort of thing is going to be known. They're going to know those Bitcoins were seized by the government and then they were bought by this person. And then whatever that person does with them, you know, you're going to see where it goes at least. Well, maybe, but but nobody has to actually give up their identity uh, and and their wallet. So, uh, Right, only the buyer and the merchant have to do that. So as long as, as I, I suppose the problem then is if the money comes from somewhere in particular, like a large source, then you could kind of trace it into anonymous sources uh, until and up until such point as there was like a, a, a person that you knew based on that address. Right. You would have to have a, a few knowns in the system somewhere and then you can sort of connect a few dots. But the vast majority of people dealing in this kind of stuff, especially if it's under the table, are specifically going to be those people that have paper wallets and uh, those people that you know are very, very much uh, operating in a secure capacity. So I have friends that are paranoid about you know, about things as far as where they're putting their money uh, that, that like this sort of service because no one else can figure out what they're doing with their stuff or have access to it. Right. Uh, but in that same regard, I think that there's maybe more people or just the same amount of people that are doing that for nefarious purposes. So I wonder if it's, if it's, uh, if it's ultimately a good thing or not. Um, and uh, again, like, you know, I... I do think that everyone is entitled to do whatever they want. I don't think that that people should be followed or or their transactions should be should be looked at or um, you know garnered by the NSA and kept in a database as we've talked about in a previous show. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that everything should be anonymous. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't know exactly how things should work going forward. But I know there's going to be a large conversation about it. Oh, yeah, and it's going to go on for quite some time. And maybe because of that nature of Bitcoin, it doesn't become uh, the, you know, whatever ultimately gets adopted. 
maybe there is something that um, winds up not being quite as anonymous that is the system that you know uh, governments choose to embrace. But regardless of what happens, I think we both agree that like this this sort of digital currency, this alternative currency is something that is important and that something built at least on the foundation of this will end up being um, you know a, a legitimate way to spend money within our lifetimes. Absolutely. I think that's very well put, Dave. Thank you. So uh, you know, I say if you're interested in Bitcoin, read about it, learn about it before you put real money into it. But buy don't, a little. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid to buy a little and experiment with it for science, Dave. For, for science. science. <laughs> Absolutely. Buy a little bit of it. Uh, go to an exchange. Get a wallet. Check it out on your phone. Try a paper wallet. You can have multiple wallets. You can download wallets to a USB, uh, you know, keychain. Just remember that in a lot of these capacities, it's not something to be flippant about. You can't go and get your password back. You can't click forgot password. Uh, a With lot. your wallet, you can. You can't click forgot passphrase. Mm. For example, if you have a blockchain wallet. The, your password is your password, and you cannot forget it. If you forget right, your right, password, right. the only way to get it back is by knowing the exact phrase, which is what, like forty words, that, forty characters, right? No, it's like it's it's more than that. Oh wow! But it, maybe it's more like one hundred and forty, like a Twitter thing. Okay, but but it's a giant uh, phrase. Right. And in order to get your password back, the only way to do it would be to know this exact phrase that's generated at the time that your account is. So you were, you were like, for example, I created a blockchain wallet. The, the only way for me to get my password back, if I forgot it, would be to input this long phrase of words that was given to me only at that point and was And it's not something that you chose. And no longer exists. Did you write it down? I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Okay. And that's what they tell you to do. Because if you put it on your computer, it's not safe. Right. It's yeah. It's just as vulnerable as anything else. So, uh, you know, you really have to... And, and that's another whole show we could do on passwords. You know, like people have such stupid passwords. I was just reading the excellent <laughs> XKCD uh, comic about that today. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us on this episode. Um, we, I think, had a really good time talking about, uh, you know, Bitcoin in general. Um, I'm going to be getting some Bitcoin. I'm going to find a way to spend some Bitcoin here in Chicago. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. And not just ordering things online. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to buy something with Bitcoin. We're going to go to a we'll brewery. We're going to get beers for Bitcoins. I bet that we could get beers for Bitcoin. Somewhere. We could, dude, we should just talk to a guy and be like, look, come on, just take our Bitcoins for beers. We'll find a we'll way. We'll buy a Jeff. couple of beers and then we'll convince him or her that Bitcoin is a good idea. We can do it. Or we'll just convince someone to buy us beers and we'll give them Bitcoin. We could do that too. Yeah. There's so much good Bitcoin out there. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, being here, Dave. And um, in the words of Gramps, everybody stay awesome.